Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, guys. How are y'all today? Good, good. Tired? Heard that? Get that? Uh, We've got a few announcements today. Uh, We've got, tonight, we've got the Branch School of Theology. We're going to be teaching on worship. So if you want to come and hear about why we sing the songs that we sing um, and all about worship through singing, come and join us tonight here at 5 o'clock. And uh, because of that, we're going to ask all of you people that play softball with us to join us. And we're not going to have softball tonight. So uh, hear that, and uh, we'll get back to softball next week. And then this one's fun. Uh, I don't know if we've said it yet, but the, after we leave from Exodus, we exit from Exodus, we're going to be studying Ephesians. So um, t- towards in the, in the fall, we're going to be studying Ephesians. So as we prepare for that, on July 9th, we're going to have a night of collaboration. If you guys want to come and join us and work on the Ephesians guide, and uh, so that's a guide that's going to help us walk through um, as we study Ephesians. You have something to bring home and to study on your own and not just what we hear on Sundays. So it's a family guide, it's a small or a family group guide, and uh, you guys, we want to invite you to join us in creating that guide. So that's on July 9th. Uh, here at five o'clock. So uh, I'm super excited about this text this week. We're in Exodus 35, uh, 30. So if you want to flip there, and we're going to continue to worship in prayer as we, as we get going. Um, and I always forget to do this. Kids, if you're still in the room, you are welcome to go join the kids ministry. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you hold our eyes to you. You are with our hands and you guide our steps. Lord, you are the light that lights up our path. Father, I pray that today as we read your word that we would know you more, that we would be excited to join in what you're doing in all of the earth. So, Lord, I pray that I would get out of the way and that you would uh, pierce the hearts of everyone in this room, including myself. We love you and we praise you. It's your son, Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. One of the reasons I was really excited about this week, or am really excited about this week, is that earlier this week we were at our house for college Bible study, and uh, I asked the students that were there if they had any thoughts on this passage and uh, so there's a time, I'm going to credit Nate Hudson. He's sitting front row because he knows he's getting mentioned today. But uh, he had an incredible observation. So hold on to the edge of your seats for that, that observation. Um, they we're all going to be blessed by it. But Exodus 35, 30, uh, kind of where we are is that the people of God have all the, already been given the instructions to build the tabernacle, and now they are being... Uh, they're going to do the work. So God's about to say, these are the men that are going to build it, and here's all the things that you need to do it. And the people are about to give it. Stephen preached last week on being generous, and this week I get to kind of preach on how God told them to stop being so generous, which is a little of a weird spot, but uh, God tells them to stop giving here at some point. But That's kind of where we are, and uh, here's Exodus 35, verse 30. Then 
Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, for every work and every skill to craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver by any sort of workman or skilled designer. You see, God called these people specifically because he has given them the gifts to do the work that he wants to be done. God called and gifted these men specifically to construct and design the tabernacle. All right, and I think we can get really lost in all of the different kinds of things that they're skilled and crafted to do, but that is exactly what he has made them to do. He's called and gifted you, every single person, to do an intentional work for the glory of himself and the formation of his kingdom. So, I've done all the gamut of work before, but wherever you're at in your life, wherever you are working, God has given you the skill that you need to do to glorify Him in that. Even if that means that you are a stay-at-home mom, which is a lot of work, that even if you are retired, there is work to be done. Right? There is work to be done in discipling people for his kingdom and loving the people around you, loving your neighbor. Even if you're working in tech, right, doing so for the glory to, of God. And whatever it is that you're doing, do it as if you're doing it in service to him. Because right? that's what Aholiab and Bezalel were gifted with skill. And not just skill, intelligence. Not just intelligence, knowledge craftsmanship to do everything that they could do for his glory. A little book uh, that if you're struggling with purpose and place and like how to do your work for God's glory, there's a book called Art for God's Sake. And it specifically talks about um, this story with Aholiab and Bezalel. Uh, and it talks about cre the people that are creative, right? So people that are doing art and, um, and work and music and stuff like that. But I think if you can read that book, Art for God's Sake by Philip Ryken, take it. It's not just about creative people, but it's about worship. It's about living your life as unto God. So I really recommend it. It's less than 100 pages. Um, so I think you should check that book out. So we're going to continue into uh, chapter 36 here. And I want you to hear the excitement that the people have to partner with God to build this tabernacle, right? So uh, 36, Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone 
whose heart stirred, up, stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, and each of them from the task that he was doing. And they said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. Right. Every little aspect of the tabernacle that's being created, everybody that's working, all of a sudden they've got stuff lined up behind them, and they get up they're like, we got to go tell Moses to get these people to stop giving. They are way too generous. How crazy is that? Too generous. The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a command and, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were, were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. The first observation here, I want you to see this, is that the people of Israel have finally seen that their God is on their side, and they respond with open hands. So whether it was the, the fear of God, you know, they remembered that he was this massive, he was causing lightning on top of a mountain, fire and a pillar of smoke, that they, they saw that fear of God and they decided to worship Him? Or was that they noticed and they realized, man, God is not leaving us. He's not going to forsake us. He's not leaving us behind. Even though we built a golden calf, He loves us. So I'm going to bring everything I have to Him because He has restored us to Himself. So much so that they literally had to stop giving. And here's... Nate's observation from Wednesday night. In verse 5, when it says, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do, it sounds a lot like when the Israelites received manna from heaven. They were commanded to take no more and no less than they needed. God always, always provides exactly what you need. No more, no less. And God told the people to not take too much manna, and now he's telling them not to give too much. How great of a God is that? We can trust that God knows exactly what he's doing. As Stephen has referenced this in, in a passage before, but Proverbs 30, 8 and 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the Goldilocks moment of the Old Testament. It's just right. Just enough. So I ask you today, did the cross of Jesus Christ accomplish too much or too little? No. He did exactly what was needed to deliver you from the domain of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of light. And if he did that, then you can know that he also cares about every other little thing in your life. 
anxiety that you have about money, relationships, work, friends, just a crashing situation that you do not know what to do with. God looks at you and says, I care about you so much that I have sent my son to die for you to take care of your biggest problem, sin in relationship with him. Cast all of your cares on him because he cares for you. And you can do that. Take it to him, all of the things that give you worry, and pray. And I heard this a while ago, and it really encouraged me. Prayer will either change your circumstances or change you in your circumstances. And both of those things are for the glory of God. They either change you or change your circumstances. God is intimately involved in every single part of your life. He is the author, the giver of life. And he's in the business of restoring all things in heaven and earth. And he's using you, filled by the Holy Spirit, to do just that, to restore all things. So, like the Israelites, they saw that God was good, that he was on their side, and they decided to go with open hands. When we see what God is doing in this world, we should respond with open hands and open hearts, and we should join him in worshipful obedience, right? Um, We see in this next passage the intense attention to detail, right? So we had gotten this passage a few months ago where it was laying out the instructions to build the tabernacle, and it's an exact copy of what they did, right? So it's going to feel like a lot of words, and we're going to read it, um, because that's our covenant with you, is that we're going to read all of Exodus. But I want you to not just, not just listen, but listen with gratefulness that the people of God were paying attention to the detail of doing the obedient thing. They were doing the right, careful, worshipful, obedient thing. So, picking up in verse 8 of chapter 36. And all the craftsmen among the workmen made the tabernacle with ten curtains. They were made of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns, with cherubim, skillfully worked. The length of each curtain was twenty-eight cubits, and the breadth of each curtain for four cubits. All the curtains were the same size. He coupled five curtains to one another, and the other five curtains he coupled to one another. He made loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain of the first set. Likewise, he made them on the edge of the outermost curtain of the second set. He made 50 loops on the one curtain, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was in the second set. The loops were opposite one another, and he made 50 clasps of gold and coupled the curtains one to the other with clasps. So the tabernacle was a single whole. He also made curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. He made 11 curtains. The length of each curtain was 30 cubits, and the breadth of each curtain, four cubits. The 11 curtains were the same size. He coupled five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the outermost curtain, the one set, and 50 loops on the edge of the other connecting curtain. He made 50 clasps of bronze to couple the tent together that it might be a single whole. 
And he made for the tent a covering of tanned ram skins and goat skins. Then he made the upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits was the length of a frame, and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. Each frame had two tenons for fitting together. He did this all for the frames of the tabernacle. The frames for the tabernacle he made, thus twenty frames for the south side. He made forty bases of silver under the twenty frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. For the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, he made twenty frames, and there forty bases of silver, two bases under one frame, and two bases under the next frame. For the rear of the tabernacle westward, he made six frames. He made two frames for the corners of the tabernacle in the rear, and they were separate beneath, but joined at the top. At the first ring, he made two of them this way for the two corners. There were eight frames with their bases of silver, 16 bases under every frame, two bases. He made bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle five bars for the frames of the tabernacle at the rear westward. And he made the middle bar to run from end to end halfway up the frames, and he overlaid the frames with gold and made their rings of gold for holders for the bars and overlaid the bars with gold. Is anybody able to picture this in their mind? Nice, me neither. He made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen with cherubim skillfully worked into he made it and for it he made four pillars of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold their hooks were of gold and he cast for them four bases of silver he also made a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen embroidered with the needlework and its five pillars with their hooks he overlaid their capitals and their fillets were of gold and their five bases were of bronze. Attention to detail. They did it how God asked them to do it. The only right response to the grace and presence of God is careful, worshipful obedience to His commands. It's the only right response. God says, I'm moving in. I want to be with you, my people, O Israel. I'm here to dwell with you. And once they finally get that, careful, worshipful obedience, we're called to participate in the kingdom of God. So they were building a tabernacle, right? And I'm grateful that we're not, aren't you? That we're not piling up all that wood and linen and yarn. So what are we building? What is God building? For the Israelites, it was a place where God would take up residence. And for us, it's a family that God has placed himself in. A family for freedom from sin. A family for forgiveness. A family for hope, of joy, a family of honesty, a family of peace, love. A family stands on truth family of prayer, a family where people can taste and see that the Lord is good. So what does it take? What will it take for us to build that kind of family? First off, it'll take obedience. 
to what Jesus referred to as the greatest commandments. And Jesus responds to the Pharisees' question about the most important rule to follow in Mark 12, and he says this, and we should all remember this. He says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. That's how we draw near to the kingdom of God. And in drawing near to his kingdom, we should be pulling others along with us. Let's get a little bit more practical, right? For us to be partnering with God as he builds his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, we need these things. We need to have open eyes, being willing to see the world through the lens of the gospel. We need to be willing to see that people are in need, that the people in the world who you think are going crazy off the walls with their uh, with ideas of transgenderism and just bringing everything that's chaotic into this world. When we see that, to not see them and be angry, but to see that with open eyes and see that and say, we need to take the gospel to them. That they need the love of Christ. Open eyes, seeing that people are in need, in need of a Savior, in need of help, and in need of mercy. We need to have open hands, being willing to meet those needs with the provisions that God has placed in your possession. And that includes the gospel, which is the greatest possession that you've ever been given, that Christ came to die for sinners like you and I. Just a note there, if you have open eyes without open hands, it's a worthless tool. If you can see all the problems in the world that have no purpose in helping any of those problems be solved, your open eyes are worthless. So we need to have open eyes, open hands like the Israelites had to give all that they had to build the tabernacle. We should be doing that in building the kingdom of God. Open, hand, open eyes, open hands, and open hearts. Being, being willing to let people into your life that at one time you would have been alienated from. We can't expect to hate the world into joining our community. We can't expect to, for them to see the joy that we have in Christ if all we do is shout hate towards them. An open heart is seeing the reality that if we share the gospel with someone that we disagree with and they come to a saving faith in Christ, they're not going to automatically agree with you on everything that you've ever said and thought. Right? An open heart. Even when they come to faith in Christ, they are going to have sin in their life. Guess what? Shocker. You still have sin in your life. Me, I have sin in my life, and it bothers my wife a lot. So, an open heart says, Lord, I want to love these people. Help me love these people, even though I 
and frustrated with their sin, the way that they think about the world. They, have, they will have sinful habits even when they first come to faith, just as you and I still have sinful habits that God is patient with and He's loving. And like our generosity liturgy says, we are to mirror what God is like to the world. So to be generous with an open heart is to be generous with your life to those people who can't give you anything in return. Above all, it's living as if Jesus is your boss, your Lord. He's giving you marching orders. Listen to what He has said. Obey His commands. And as Charles Stanley said so well, obey God and leave all the consequences up to Him. So, what are our marching orders? We've talked about that. Love God, love others. But I want to take a minute here, and it's going to feel a little bit awkward uh, because we're going to be silent for a little bit. I want us to pray and ask God, what is obedience for me right now? Is it confessing sin and asking for help? Is it calling that friend and extending or asking for forgiveness? Is it sharing the gospel with a loved one? being patient with someone that you're typically not very patient with? Is it coming to our elders and pastoral staff to start the conversation about church planting? Do you have that prong in your heart? Is it serving in the children's ministry, on the tech team, serving with our worship team? Is it joining a family group or finding a way to serve the lowly or the least of these in our community? So, let's take a moment, pray, and ask God, what is my next step of obedience? Now, hopefully, we all have some kind of direction to go in as we move through our week tomorrow. My prayer for you is that God may give you the strength to follow in obedience His commands. So this week, as we move together as a church to the table, let's remember that it's only by the power of the cross the death and resurrection of Christ, that we are able to participate in that building of the kingdom of God. So when we go and we take the bread, we are remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us. And when we dip it in the cup, we are remembering that His blood was spilled out for us. That through that broken body and spilled blood, we are forgiven. And in his forgiveness, he has 
also chosen to take up residence in your life, to restore your life and to make you an agent for the kingdom of God. So let's go to the table ready to be empowered for the work of the gospel because of Christ's work on the cross for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your life that you've given us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us just enough. Lord, I join with the man that wrote that proverb and asking, Lord, don't give me too much. Don't give me too little, but let me see what I have as enough. Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to your commands, that we would love others, that we would share your truth with the world. That we would extend forgiveness where forgiveness needs to be extended, Lord, and we'd ask for it where we need to repent. Or teach us to live our lives with open eyes, open hands, and open hearts. And it's your son, Jesus' name, that I pray. Amen.